Welcome everybody watching online. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, yeah, we're just about to get started, so thank you for being here. Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to 1 John 4, and we can, uh, yeah, we can do this together. So let me pray, and let me settle myself, and then we can, we can start. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. I thank you that this is truly your house, that this is where your glory dwells. This is where your spirit dwells. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you are in this room. God, and I pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, that you would open eyes, that there would be redemption, salvation, transformation this morning. In Jesus' name, fill my words with power, speak through me, and humble me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a lot of you may know, for the longest time, I worked at Starbucks. And at Starbucks, you had a wide range of, of drinks being ordered. You had the Grande Caramel Macchiato's Light Foam, Extra Hot. Actually, no, not Extra Hot. 180 degrees, but with just one less pump of vanilla. That's the kind of normal stuff. If people just got a latte without doing anything, it was weird. It was really weird. So I pictured this, like, you have this perfect Saturday morning, your day off, you're about to go. You're thinking, oh, later I'm going to go for a hike, I'm going to just spend time with my family, I'm going to read, I'm going to sit in the sun, I'm going to, but first I'm going to go to Starbucks, I'm going to get myself a grande London Fog soy milk, I don't know why you'd choose soy milk, soy milk, light foam, then five pumps of vanilla because you're feeling a little extra, extra fancy. So you go to Starbucks, you order it to perfection, and you're waiting, you're probably waiting at about five minutes for Starbucks, it's a little bit longer, and then your drink gets called, your name gets called, and you pick up your drink, and something's not right, like right away. You know there's way too much foam, way too much foam on this London fog. And you can just feel the frustration boiling in you. I've had this happen to me all the time. Like, I want a chai with no foam. You pick it up, there's foam. That's so frustrating. I don't know if there's many things here that are, I'm sure, no, there's lots of things that are worse than that. But this is truly, like, this is something that I notice with myself. I get so frustrated, so frustrated. All the fruit of the Spirit is out the window as soon as I pick it up and there's foam in my drink. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get so angry. And this can quickly just become something that is normal. I get frustrated with everything. I get frustrated when I'm driving. I get frustrated when I'm going for a walk and somebody's walking too slow in front of me. You just get, everything just becomes a little aggravating. There is no love, no joy but when you read the Bible, it says that as Christians, we're supposed to, like, abundant life, fullness of joy. You know, like, why can I, why am I not experiencing what the Bible says I should be experiencing? If I'm filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit should be present in my life. I should be experiencing love. I should be experiencing joy. But I don't, in the little things and the big things. So how do we become loving, joyful people. Because I think that's what we all want. We all want to be that person that, that somebody comes to and they feel like we love them. We fe they feel like we've just been, we're joyful no matter what the circumstance, right? That's what we want. But how do we get there? How do we get there? And this is what John is teaching us. First John 4, 8 says this. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God. So John is saying that if you're not being loving, if you're not being joyful, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, if you're not loving, you don't actually know who God is. 
So knowing who God is is key to us being loving people. So who is, who is God? God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Matthew Henry, who was a Welsh pastor and author and who wrote like what I use to study all the time, Matthew Henry commentary, he said this. He said that God's nature and essence is love. His will and works are primarily love. Love is natural and essential to his divine majesty. His nature and his essence is love. So everything he does flows from a place of love. Yes, he's just. Yes, he's wise. Yes, he's all these different characteristics. But the core of it is love. God is love. And if we keep going in this passage, John tells us what God's love looks like. So the next verse, in this, the love of God was made manifest or was shown among us, that God would send his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is love. The love of God is, is I was a sinner. I was dead in my sins, and I deserved punishment for my sins. And yet Jesus said, I'll take your punishment for you. I'll die in your place. It, the love of God is me being an orphan, and yet he, him calling me his child. The love of God is, is me being just so far, just so against him, so rebellious, so sinful, and yet God saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. You're my child. I love you. That is the love of God. And it's because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. This is the love of God. The love of God is, the Bible says, is everlasting to everlasting. It surpasses knowledge. It's something that we can never be separated from. It's towards us even when we were against him, even when we are against him now. His love doesn't change. It doesn't fail. He loves you just as you are. Just take that in. He loves you just as you are. This doesn't mean he doesn't start changing you. I heard it's, there's a, a beautiful song that says he loves you so much that, that to be loved is to be changed. Once we're loved by God, we are changed by God. But that doesn't mean that he loves the future version of you. Like my dad always says, he doesn't love the perfect version of yourself, a better version of yourself. He loves you just as you are. And his love is more than we could ever, ever understand. And this is the foundation of everything. Before I go through any other points in this sermon, this is the most important part of it. This is the foundation. This is the core of everything. Because if we don't know God's love, we will not live lives of love. We will not live lives of joy. We probably won't experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives at all. His love in us is the key. And we can know God's love because Romans 5, 5 says this, his love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you believe in Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you can know God's love for you. You can know God's love for you this morning. And if you're not a Christian, it's available 
it's available to you. So before I go any further, I'm going to pray because this is something that you can't just, you can't just understand God's love. This isn't something you can read about and, oh, I get it. I, it makes sense to me. You have to know it deep in your heart. So I'm going to pray and pray that we actually, that I actually just get a glimpse, just get a glimpse of his love because it is bigger, it is better, it is more glorious, it's more powerful, more steadfast than anything we can imagine. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, your love surpasses knowledge. Your love is everlasting to everlasting. Your steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in you. Would we just get a glimpse of your love? Would we know your love deep in our hearts? Would your love soak our hearts? permeate every part of us that we could know your love. Your love that though we were against you, though we turned away from you, though we sin, though we reject you, though we try to live this life on our own, the love that forgives us for our most terrible sins and mistakes, the love that transforms us, the love that that welcomes us as we've, after we've run away and we, and we come back to you, you welcome us. And you rejoice when that one, even if you have 99 of us, you rejoice when the one comes back. Would we know that love, Jesus? Heavenly Father, would we know that love? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's keep moving in this passage. So, beloved, if God so loved us, which is what we're trying to grasp, we also ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. So John is saying that if God loved us with such an incredible, undeserving, steadfast love, that we wouldn't hesitate to love others in a way that reflects his love. We wouldn't hesitate to love others. And there's one passage in this that I'll probably use in my wedding in 33 days. Um, you don't have to use it, you know. This is for all things, but it is beautiful, and it's all I'm thinking about. So anyway, let's just work through this bit by bit. Love is patient. Love is patient. It's slow to get frustrated. When it's been wronged, when, it's been, when somebody's taken advantage of it, it is patient. It is okay. It does not, when you have somebody's driving slow in front of you, it's like, it's okay, I'm not in a rush. I'm patient, you know? It's okay. One thing that I've learned is, or I'm trying to learn, hasn't sunk in yet, but is just the act of living slowly. So not walking at your full pace all the time, driving at the speed limit, that's, that's tough. That's a tough one, it really is. Just being okay if things take a little longer than you think that they will. Like just living a bit slower than you have to, than you need to. That really builds up patience in us because love is patient. Love is not trying to get through things quickly and, you know, and move on to the next thing and trying to get in and out of places quick. It's just slow. It's patient. Love is kind. It seeks to do 
good things for other people. It seeks to donate food. Don't feel bad if you haven't, but it seeks to donate food. It seeks to pick up a backpack to fill it up. That's kindness. It does good deeds towards other people. Love is not envious. Love does not envy. It doesn't covet other people's things. It is content with what it has. It is content with what it has. It actually rejoices when somebody we know gets a promotion and we haven't. Or if they get a new toy and we don't have it. It rejoices. It's able to bless other people. It doesn't envy. Love is not boastful or arrogant. It is not, and this is a big one, it doesn't treat others with contempt. And contempt is something that in our culture is just normal. If you go on YouTube, so many YouTubers make their living just off of tearing people up, of making fun of people, of being sarcastic, of just picking out one flaw in somebody else and making that everything about that person. That's the culture we live in. That's the, and working at Starbucks, that's, people could get so frustrated at my baristas because of like one mistake, and it just becomes everything about them is that one mistake. But love does not treat people that way. It assumes the best of others. It assumes the best of others. It says that we think, we are going to think the best of them. We are not going to pick them apart for their, for their mistakes or their one flaw that we can find. And that it actually, it doesn't enjoy, like uh, Matthew Henry said again, that it doesn't enjoy giving an ill opinion of somebody else. It never wants to tear down. And boasting or being arrogant is us saying that we're above somebody else, that we're better than them, that we are, that we have more, that we're more important, whatever. Love doesn't do that. Love acts like Jesus. Love serves. Love humbles itself. It blesses others. It doesn't treat others with contempt. Love doesn't insist on its own way. This one is a tough one. I, was, uh, I had a Sabbath the other, a couple weeks ago, and I had it perfectly planned. It was just like, at the, like the story I said at the beginning. I was going to read. I was going to have a cup of coffee. It was a beautiful day. I was eventually going to go to Rachel's house, and we were just going to watch a movie, hang out with her family. It was just the perfect day planned. And then Rachel calls me, and she's like, I kind of want to go to a pool. And I'm like, I don't want to go to a pool. I want to do the things that I said. She's like, no, it'll be nice. It'll be like, it'll be sunny. It'll be like blue skies, like food, chips, pop. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know. I just, so just, I didn't want to do what she wanted to do. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Even though doing what she wanted to do would have made her so happy and would have been the best thing. And that would have been the act of love. I decided, I was just like, no, I'm getting my way. I put my needs in front. I didn't go to the pool. I couldn't believe it. But this is, like, love doesn't insist on its own way. Love puts other people's needs in front of its own. Actively, like it actively says, like, before I even say anything about what I want to do, what do you want to do, or what do you need? What can I do to help you? And then it works around that. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. It doesn't get frustrated when there's foam in your chai which is what I do all the time. It is just, it's, it's patient again. All these kind of work into each other. It is not irritable. It doesn't lose its temper. It doesn't snap at people. It is just slow to anger. It takes a long time 
before you actually get frustrated. And that's something that you can't just do. This is over time, the Holy Spirit changes and all this stuff. The Holy Spirit transforms and renews us. And, but love is not irritable. I heard it said that anger cannot rest where love reigns. Love is not resentful. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't think the worst of people. It doesn't wish terrible things on others. It is not resentful. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't rejoice at seeing people make mistakes or seeing sinful acts and words and things being done. It doesn't rejoice in it. It rejoices in the truth. And we'll come back to rejoices in the truth in a minute. Love bears all things and endures all things. Love does not give up easily. Love, when it is put under pressure, it stays the same. It withstands whatever is thrown against it. People endure much for the ones that they love, and that's what we are called to do. We are called to endure much. And Jesus says in Luke 6 that we are to love our enemies. It's easy to love the people that love us. It's so easy to think well of the people that think well of us. So easy to be patient to the people who are patient with us. But it's when people aren't patient. It's when people are frustrated with you. It's when people are not kind to you or think the worst of you. That's when this kind of love kicks in. Love bears all things and endures all things. So say somebody is just terrible to me. They've done whatever, like just spoken terrible things of me, things that aren't true, whatever. Love isn't a doormat. It doesn't just let them walk all over you. But love does pray for them. Love blesses them. Love endures much for the one that it loves. Love believes all things and hopes all things. It assumes, again, it assumes the best of people. It doesn't want to give a negative opinion about other people. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. So this kind of love that we're aiming for, that we get, get built up in us by the Holy Spirit, this, beca- this happens because he loved us first with an incredible love that we could never deserve. God has forgiven us so we can forgive others. God has been patient with me so I can, for- I can be patient with you, with somebody else. God has loved us, so we love others. This love changes our relationships. This love changes our workplaces, our families. It builds community instead of creating separation. This love is powerful and it's different because it's not love that you can just build up in yourself. It's not love that you'll just find on the street somewhere. This is love that the Holy Spirit, that God himself builds up in you. Because he loves you and you are filled with his love, he makes you a loving person. And this is something that we need his help with. So we need to ask him, ask him, Father, would you fill me with your spirit that I may love that that fruit would be present in my life. So that's love for others. So God's love creates in us a love for others, and it also creates a love for him. And this is just a miracle in itself. The fact that we were against him, we were dead in our sins, 
Paul goes into detail about how against him we actually were. Like we had nothing, we didn't, nobody would ever choose to love God, it says in Romans. Nobody would ever choose to love God. Nobody would ever choose to pursue him, to follow him. And yet, he forgave us. He opened our eyes that we could see him. And now we love him. That is a miracle in and of itself. We were against him and now we love him. We were his enemies and now we're his children. That's amazing. Oh, you could spend so long on that. What does love for God look like? So we're going to go back to uh, rejoicing with the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Love for God, one way to look at it is that it expresses itself in joy in God. Joy in God and joy in what he calls us to do. Joy in his way of life. Joy in his commandments. It says in 1 John that if we love God, we will keep his commandments. But his commandments are not burdensome. That's what it says. His commandments are for us to, they give us life. They're real, true life. They give us joy. They give us peace. His commandments are to forgive one another, to love one another, to be generous. These commandments bring life. And though they're not natural to us, we find joy in them. We rejoice in the truth, in God's ways. And we rejoice in him. We find our joy in him. We find our joy in Jesus, in our salvation. We find joy in the gift of eternal life. We find joy in, our, in his providing us with everything we need, that his promises, that if we seek the kingdom first, he will give us all we need. We find joy in, in his power and his authority over darkness, over the enemy. We find joy in his beauty, in his miracles that he does, in his healing. We find joy in creation. We find joy in God because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I'm tired of trying to find a joy in the things of this world. I'm, I'm tired of trying to find a joy in YouTube. I'm tired of trying to find joy in, in other people that satisfies my heart because what my heart needs is fullness of joy. What my heart needs is a joy that is not found here. It needs supernatural joy. That's what we need. This joy is powerful. This joy is different. And it's found only in God. I listened to a Stephen Furtick sermon. And I don't listen to him a lot. And I don't know if I agree with everything. But he talked about joy as in you can't just choose to be joyful. You can't choose, oh, I'm just going to be joyful today. That's not, that's not going to work. I've tried it. What we do is we choose Jesus. We choose God. And in God, we find joy. Psalm 16, before um, that verse I just showed you, before that one, it says, the Lord is my chosen portion. So when we choose God, we will find the fullness of joy. When we choose God, we will find the pleasures forevermore. When we choose God, we will find a joy that is complete and deep and full and lasting no matter what circumstance we're in. And this is what's different about Christian joy. Is that Christian joy is not about the amount of stuff you have. It's not about the vacations you've been on. It's not about the family you have or the house or the money that you have. 
Joy in God is deeper than our circumstances. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though I have no food, though I have no income, though I have nothing to provide for me, though I have no place to live, though I have no, though I just got laid off, though I just, all these things, though, 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 yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will find my joy in Jesus. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. His presence. It doesn't say in our things. It doesn't say in my ability to, to be happy or my whatever. It says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Joy in God is deeper than our circumstance. We might not be feeling happy because of what's going on but we can be joyful. We can be joyful because of who God is to us in the midst of all of whatever's going on, whatever's happening, because God doesn't change. He is steadfast. His love is everlasting to everlasting. On your worst day, he loves you. On your best day, he loves you. He's with you. The hope of eternity doesn't change. If you're a Christian, you have that to look forward to every day of your life. I just moved into my apartment on Friday, um, and I was, I was just thinking I would feel really alone. Like, it's just me. I mean, it's not a big apartment, but it's just me. And I was thinking, I think I'm just going to be really lonely. And then as soon as, like, my family left and unpacking was done, I just felt a wave of, I'm never alone. God's with me. God's with me, and he loves me. And I can find all the joy that I need in him. So whether I'm alone or whether I have all my friends and family over, I can have joy. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, no matter what circumstance you're in. My fiance Rachel, she, the last like two years have just been terrible. Like they've been like like multiple like people have passed away in her family and cancer and, and all this stuff and then COVID and and in the midst of in the midst of her Oma being diagnosed with cancer, which was just like heartbreaking, she wrote, she painted on a, a piece of wood, she said, Count it all joy. Like, can you believe that? Like your Opa just passed away, your Oma just got diagnosed with cancer. You're, you know, you're feeling sick. You can't see people. No, count it all joy. Because joy is deeper. Joy in God is deeper than our circumstance. It doesn't mean that you don't cry. It doesn't mean you don't get upset. It doesn't mean that you don't recognize or try to ignore what's actually happening. It just means that you know the Lord's presence with you through all of those things. It means that you know his love for you in all of those things. You know who he is to you in all of those things. And this is only possible through the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that we can just create. This is something that we pursue and we experience by His 
grace. So knowing God and knowing his incredible love changes us. It makes us loving to others in a way that is supernatural. It gives us a joy that is deeper than any circumstance. And it gives us a love for him that is unlike, that is just a miracle in and of itself. And this changes the world. It really does. This love changes things. It changes our relationships. It changes our families, our workplaces. It changes this city. And we need to, I was really convicted last night. Like, I can know God's love. I can know it. I just need to ask for it. I need to seek him in his word. I need to ask him, reveal to me your love. Renew my mind. Help me know your love. Because that is, it says that his love is better than life. It's better than life. Let's pursue it. Let's seek it out. Let's spend time, like me, let's spend time pursuing God and his love. And then in that, we will have all that we need. We will have joy that sustains us through every circumstance. We will have a love that, that makes others take notice and makes other people go, oh, they must be Christians. It changes things. So I'll invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read Ephesians three, sixteen to 19. You can close your eyes and I'll read this over you and, and then pray. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you haven't given your life to him, I encourage you, I implore you that now is the time. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Ask for forgiveness from your sins. Be free from guilt, from shame, and be filled with God's love for you. And your life will be forever, forever changed for the better. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. Would God grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, would we know you in such a way that we are filled with your everlasting love, with your deep and powerful joy. Lord, that we would be satisfied with your love. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Would you be our desire, God? And would you make us to be loving, joyful people that changes this city, that relies wholly on your Holy Spirit? Lord, just... Just renew our hearts, renew our minds, transform us. We 
love you. In Jesus' name we pray.